You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today Maybe one of the last news days before the Pacers hit the court for training camp next week. Hey, big news to talk about. Obviously, the Pacers signed some players last Friday. I want to cover the rest of the moves on the docket for the Pacers this offseason. Other signings that they could or should make, uh, rookie scale options, extensions, all the stuff, two-way slots still on the table for the Pacers this offseason. Then we'll bring in Nick Angstad, uh, channel manager for Lockdown NBA, and host of Lockdown Maps to talk about one Lockdown NBA top 50, top 50 players in the NBA uh, from the Lockdown Podcast Network. And Tyrese Halberton makes the list. Is he in the right spot? Should he move up? Is this a good way to evaluate players? Because we did it a little differently here at Lockdown. And at the end, Eurobasket is done. Daniel Tice, bronze medal. Gogo Batadze, good stats, not great tournament overall. Talk about Eurobasket and how that tournament was awesome. And there's some rules the NBA should take from it. But we'll jump into the big roster news. The big thing that everybody would like to know about the Pacers. What's next for their team? Their roster is full. They signed five players last Friday. We covered a lot of that Monday. Kendall Brown in on a two-way deal. James Johnson in on a non-guaranteed deal. And then exhibit 10 deals for Benny Boatwright, Gabe York, and David Stockton. Let's do a little reporting here off the jump. Uh, as I guessed on Monday's show, uh, educated guessing I should call it, uh, I can now confirm exhibit 10 deals for York and Stockton and Boatwright, as well as David Dasservitas, who they signed back in August. So those guys, uh, if they're waived before the season starts and then they report to the Mad Ants for 60 days, we'll get a bonus. It's a $50,000 bonus for Servetus, Stockton, and York. It's a $10,000 bonus for Benny Boatwright. So bonuses coming for those guys if they would get waived. If they make the Pacers, they obviously get paid even more in that way. And then James Johnson, Exhibit 9, contract as predicted, non-guaranteed, one-year minimum deal. Exhibit 9 basically means if he gets injured before the season starts, Pacers can cut him, and the injury protection part of contracts does not apply. $6,000 cap hit. Basically, it's just an injury protection exhibit. One-year, non-guaranteed minimum contract for James Johnson. Okay, as expected, that leaves the Pacers the most flexibility to do stuff still before the season starts, right? They could cut any or all of those guys, except for Kendall Brown, who's on the two-way. They could cut him, too, in theory, but they shouldn't. Uh, and, and free up roster space to do other stuff. So potential moves still to come for the Pacers this offseason. I typed it as the Exhibit 10 dance. <laughs> the Exhibit 10 dance. Woohoo! Uh, you know, last year they did it as well. They cut Kiefer Sykes and Terry Taylor and another player who I cannot remember, Nate Hinton. There we go. Uh, after the preseason was done. And then they signed um, Boatwright and get Justin Anderson and Derek Culver to, to exhibit 10 deals. And then those guys got waived the next day, right? Every year teams do this. They try to get G League rights for guys and give them a bonus to be in their organization. Pacers might do that here as well. And so I call it the Exhibit 10 dance because there's a chance there's other guys who could potentially take Exhibit 10 deals from the Pacers. Um, you know, the four guys who were reported a while ago to potentially be in the mix uh, who played in Summer League, Eli Brooks, Tevin Brown, um, and I, I'm as a fan, Bojang, and I cannot remember the fourth one. For the life of me, I've had trouble keeping up. Uh, Jermaine Samuels, I've had trouble keeping up with all these names in the process. You know, th they aren't signed yet. They were reported to be, but they could be if there's moves later 
in the offseason. And then Norvell Pell, uh, NBA vet for a couple of years, played with the, the 76ers before. I think he played for uh, the Portland Trailblazers last year. I know he's not a name many of you have heard in the Patriots sphere, but he has exactly three years of experience. Um, the Jazz, that's who he played for last year. The managers just acquired him in a trade where they sent away Nate Hinton's Julie Gretz to the Canton Charge. You know, perhaps he's a guy that's in the mix for an Exhibit 10 deal as well. He has been in the NBA before. So maybe you'll see some cuts and some signings from the Pacers. Don't be surprised by that. I certainly think you'll see some because of the reported Exhibit 10 signings that we heard before the season started. But the number of them, how many of them, what kind of deals guys are signed to, is sort of TBD in the air. And if you're on an Exhibit 10 deal, you can be converted to a two-way contract. So if any of the Exhibit 10 guys stand out while they're signed, perhaps they don't get cut as a part of the dance and they stay in competition for a two-way slot. Now, non-guaranteed contracts like James Johnson, like O'Shea Brissett in theory, although he won't be cut, like all the Exhibit 10 guys, can be moved anytime, and you can have up to 20 guys in the offseason. So remember, Evan Sidery of Basketball News reported Langston Galloway uh, as a name for the Pacers. Uh, Lance Stevenson's obviously been going to be named for forever and ever. They still have his cap hold on the books. Same with Nate Hinton's, although his rights are in Cleveland's now. Either way, what you could see is other moves that bring in guys on Exhibit 9 deals to compete for the Pacers' final roster spot. I don't know who they would even consider for that. There could be other vets in the mix. could be other young guys. It could be for a team like the Pacers who have flexibility with cap space and roster spots, someone that another team cuts, right? They are in a good position in that way. But just going off the names that have been floated and in the orbit of the Pacers, you know, those guys could also be signed at some point. So I think a, a good camp competition is good, but uh, the timing of all this is fluid. It might depend on who's doing well, who's doing poorly, and just when it makes sense. A lot of teams have already been signing and waving guys. The Milwaukee Bucks just got in on this with Alex Antetokounmpo. So we'll see where this all ends up for the Pacers, but that is something I expect to still see coming this offseason. There's a couple other things I think you'll hear stuff asked about, uh, but may not necessarily happen. Some of these will happen. Some of these may not. Another one, beyond the Exhibit 10 dance, is uh, Goga Batadze and Buddy Heald extensions. Uh, Miles Turner is extension eligible as well, but his goes into the season. So I don't, I'm don't. i not counting that as an off-season thing. That's just a thing. <laughs> that could happen during the season at any time, after the trade deadline even. But before the season starts is when Buddy Heald and Goga's extension deadline would theoretically be. They can add years and dollars to both of those deals. Rookie scale extension for Batadze has a little different rules than a veteran extension for Heald. Um, look, uh, both of them have uh, some spot in the NBA, uh, but the Pacers have a lot of bigs on their team, including a lot of young bigs and Buddy Heald's on the wrong side of the age curve for the Pacers, despite being talented. And it's probably a little overpaid right now. So I think for both of those guys, you kind of zoom out on their extension and say, yeah, if they're willing to take a bargain deal to return to the Pacers for longer, sure. The Pacers should agree to that bargain deals are good and their assets still going into future seasons. Beyond that though, I think the flexibility and optionality is more important for the Pacers and extending those guys. So that deadline is something to keep an eye on. I think I'll probably ask front office people, Rick Carlisle, whoever, about those extensions. But I would not expect extensions for either player unless, again, it is a bargain. Something else that could happen uh, this offseason, and it certainly will. Uh, the deadline is technically October 31st. So this is something that will happen during the season, not an offseason move, but still an offseason procedural thing. Some teams will do it before the season starts. Rookie scale options. Talked about these on one podcast back way in July. How this works is if a player's drafted in the first round, uh, they're on a rookie scale contract, and they have two team options on their deal in the third and fourth year, but the, the decision for that option comes a full year early, right? So Chris Duarte, to make this example easy, even our Pacers fans who've been following his career, 
He just finished his first year. And after the first year, the Pacers have to decide on his third year team option for his third season. They'll have to decide on that before his second season. Um, so by October 31st, they have four guys on rookie scale deals who still have future team options undecided. The third year team option of Chris Duarte, no brainer. No brainer. 100% they're going to pick that up. The third year option for Isaiah Jackson, uh, their, their 22nd pick last year, also a no brainer. Again, easy peasy. The fourth year option for Tyrese Halberton, <laughs> easy peasy, lemon squeezy. These are all super easy. They will be, I mean, I mean, they could do it tomorrow and no one would complain. There is one guy who it's not as obvious, and that's Aaron Neesmith's fourth year option, right? He was drafted by Boston in the same draft as uh, Tyrese Halberton as he went uh, with that 14th pick. So he's headed into the last year of his rookie skill deal. If the Pacers pick up that option, $5.6 million of Aaron Neesmith for 2023-24. I think the Pacers should pick it up. Not because Aaron Neesmith might be worth that or might not be, because the opportunity cost, extremely low. They're going to have a ton of cap space next summer anyway, unless they have grand plans for their cap space, and they know for a pretty strong fact they're going to be able to use it productively. I think it makes the most sense to keep Neesmith, even if he doesn't produce this year. It's at worst a little bit of bad salary flotsam to use in a trade, but you know I said the same thing about TJ Leaf, ironically, not because I thought TJ Leaf was deserving of, of more years in the NBA but because the opportunity cost for the Pacers was super low. They were already over the cap. They couldn't replace him. And then the coronavirus hit and changed the salary cap and they needed to salary dump him. So perhaps a, a, a situation where the salary cap changes could make it uh, impossible to predict the right move for Neesmith. But given the, the, the things we know now, and it's not like he's been bad in his first two years. He's just been a little inconsistent finding a role. I think the Pacers will pick up all four of their rookie scale options when they come. Uh, but Neesmith is the one that maybe they would like to see him you know, in camp and preseason, things like that. Uh, so I would think all four of those guys will be picked up at some point before the season starts. And the last thing the Pacers have to do rosterly, procedurally, whatever, before the season starts, fill their last two-way spot. Maybe it's somebody they already have on the team that they'll convert their deal. Maybe it's someone new. It's just guessing to predict anybody. You know, of the guys they have signed now, like I guess Dividas Servitas, given his experience, his young age, he's a wing who can maybe shoot it would be the leader in the clubhouse, but Jermaine Samuels showed a lot of those skills in the past and in summer league as well. So, you know, of the guys in their orbit, a lot of guys could potentially make sense on the two-way. They like having guards on two-way deals. Maybe they like Eli Brooks for the spot or any of the, the two-point guards that they signed already. Gabe York was on a two-way last year, for example. We'll see, but that is something else they will do. It could be any number of players. It could not be James Johnson, Langston Galloway, or Lance Stevenson. They have too many years of experience to be on a two-way contract that's the roster stuff to expect as they come. We'll, of course, cover them all here on Lockdown Pacers. And when I get answers for you about the why, the numbers, the things like that, you'll, of course, hear it from me on this podcast. Now, let's talk about Tyrese Halberton, top 50 NBA player per our Lockdown NBA top 50 with partnership with Bet Online. And speaking of Bet Online, let me talk to you guys about them really quickly. It's the number one source. For all of your pro and college football betting needs this season is betonline.net. It is the way to go here. You can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games, That excuse me, this year's upcoming week games. And BetOnline is also your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Colts currently uh, favored to lose. Favored to lose? That's not a word. Uh, the line is they will lose by six and a half to the Chiefs on Sunday. If you're into that sort of thing, the Hoosiers in Cincinnati. Yikes, that does not sound good. Cincinnati favored by 16 and a half 
against my undefeated Hoosiers. Those lines over at BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, basketball, very soon. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action over at BetOnline because BetOnline is where the game starts. Back here on Locked On Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen every single day. Free and available on all platforms here on the Locked On Podcast Network and YouTube. You can see my beautiful face and our now here guest, beautiful face Nick Angstad, host of Locked On Mavs, channel manager for the Locked On NBA team is here because he's one of the few people qualified to talk about both of our next two topics here as we dive into both Eurobasket and the Locked On NBA Top 50, every outlet and their mother and their uncle put out Top 100 rankings today. Locked Ons are a little different, which I thought was cool. It was their players' influence on the betting line. So which players matter the most in that way? And Tyrese Halberton made the list of the Top 50. He slotted in at 50. The last guy to make the cut, but he was within the project. I thought was cool. You should check it out on Monday's video. I am in there. Nick, how did you feel about this ranking this way of looking at players' values, and do you agree that Hal Burton at 50 makes a lot of sense? I thought the ranking was different. By the way, it's different than the other ones because it's only 50 and everybody else did 100. I feel like every outlet today was like 100 players, and we were only Can we do a top four 50 next year on Lockdown NBA? Four for like every single player. Yeah, rank the whole league. And then, then somebody would be like, you know, where would Carmelo fit into this? Really? Like, <laughs> Are you serious? This second round picture would be at least 340. Yeah. <laughs> we'll argue about anything. I mean, well, that's that's what we're here for. But I, I, lo- I really liked how they did this list because it at least puts value to them and at least puts value to some of the, the players. And you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton makes it. And Bet Online told us that he would move the line by one and a half points. I find that really interesting because that actually equates a value to somebody instead of just like, Tyrese Halliburton is 50, Scotty Barnes is 49. So that means Scott, like Scotty Barnes must be miles better than, than Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> Sometimes we look at these lists and think about it like that. But when you actually equate you know, a number to it, it says, okay, well, this is how much that player means to this game. And then you go to the top of the list, and I'll just I'll throw out the top of the list, is Luka Doncic and, and Giannis are up there, and they're both worth seven and a half points. And so you see the difference between what a what a like a, a bona fide star in the NBA or what like a rising young really good player can do in the league. And so I find that point value system really really interesting. Now, when we get to the playoffs and things like that, these things definitely change. But during the regular season, game to game, the the games that are going to matter for the Pacers this year, uh, these numbers mean a lot. Yeah, and and Tyrese is fascinating because you know if you zoom out from a whole NBA perspective. One and a half, a lot of guys are around there. But to the Pacers specifically, I would have said, like, in terms of the line of the game, and I think Luca falls in this camp a lot too, which is why I thought when the project would describe to us, he might be number one. It's like the Mavs don't have a guy who can even close to replicate that. They don't have another all-star or star or anything like that. So if Luca's out, the Mavs are a totally different team. They're way worse, and they, they you know, seven and a half points is a lot. But, like, their style of play changes. The way they have to play is different. That's sort of the, the case for Halliburton, too. Obviously, the Pacers are way worse than the Mavs, and Halliburton's not as good as Luka. Like, I'm not debating their ranking in the in the list by doing this, but I think that for those guys, their influence on the line may be a little stronger than a similar talent level player because of the situation they're in and their team system, which I think is an interesting way to look at value because it also measures importance to your team, right? Giannis at the top makes sense. He's amazing. But I thought that was an extra wrinkle that made it a little more quantifiable and understandable. Yeah, I, they t- they tried to tell us that they didn't consider backups, so it wasn't like a war, like in baseball. It wasn't like a wins above replacement necessarily statistic or, or ranking of these, but 
there's no way you can't consider that in the line, right? Like I right. can't imagine that you wouldn't look at, all right, well, who else is around Tyrese Halliburton and say, like, that's the reason he's on this list, right? Is that there's yeah. no one else on the base. If he was off, if he was not playing on a, any given night, the Pacers would be not either not favored in the game or they would be favored by a, one and a half points less uh, or one and a half points more of an underdog, I guess, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> They're uh, not favored. Are they playing <laughs> the Pistons? No? Okay. I was going to say, which teams They're would they be favored? favored? Like, <laughs> maybe the four teams they would be favored against. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the line would be one and a half points lower even uh, than that. But, but yeah, I, him, him making this list, I feel like, means a lot for, for the Pacers because it's, it's such a, a point in the direction of, hey, you, you have somebody to build a team around. Because yeah. the rest of these players, I mean, you'd, you'd probably build a team around bro, for the most part. For sure. I was curious when we realized or released there was going to be top 50. I was like, oh, man, it's going to be close. <laughs> like ESPN came out with theirs today, Halliburton, and their more subjective ranking, 59, right? Like I thought it was going to be close for Tyrese in this list, but his impact to the Pacers obviously huge. And I, I, I don't think people disagree with him being around that spot, and he'll clearly move up. But being there now is significant for the Pacers to get that guy. The funny part to me was on the bet online list, Sabonis – it's 41, right? The Pacers' bet is that Tyrese will eventually be higher or else they wouldn't have done the trade. Like, that's not that big of a gap in terms of the line and, and MVP or, excuse me, and um, game-winning movement and things like that, which I think is fascinating. And part of what I wanted to talk about in this is, like, how much can he move up from 50, right? He's, like, 22 right now, right? And Scotty Barnes is right in front of him. So, of course, it makes him look bad that the guy right in front of him is 20. But, like, right above them, Marcus Smart, Clay Thompson, Van Vliet, Wiggins, uh, Draymond, you know, a lot of guys that maybe even during this season he could vault past and move up. Like it's very telling that he's already in top 50 lists for the NBA, regardless of how you kind of talk about it. Yeah, it is a big deal. Uh, and when you, you talk about how he can move up, it's start looking at the players that are younger, that are, are maybe even necessarily on bad teams. Cade Cunningham is at 38. He moves the line two points. Now, bet online after they put, put point totals to each of them, they just decided to use their own rankings to put them in, in an order. And so like, you know, Cade Cunningham worth two points. Shea Gilgis Alexander's two points as well. They're on opposite ends of the two point tier here. So Cade is worth is ranked 38 and SGA is worth 43. So if we're talking about how Halliburton can move up, it's all right. Can he make that much of an impact and get to, you know, where Cade is now? Can he become to, can he increase his value by point by 0.5 points? And then he's in the, the, you know, the late thirties or something like that. Um, if they find, if they don't make this Lakers trade and they find their way in the play in race somehow, then I could see them. I could see them pushing him that much because he's going to be the one that's going to, he's going to get the credit for, uh, for their success. If they do end up doing something like that. Thank you for saying Lakers. I can put it in the title now and get twice as many clicks. <laughs> much appreciated. Uh, you covered the Luka Lakers trade happen and you used to cover Rick Carlisle. How convenient. Luca didn't start. Luca's number two, as you mentioned earlier, he didn't start there. He didn't come into the league as number two. He was really good. But what, what, what took him up there? You know, you would know better than me. What took him up there and what did Rick do to help him in that way? And do you feel like as the coach of Tyrese Halbert now, he can do something similar to help Halbert and move from 52, not two. I don't think anyone thinks he has that much potential, but to that echelon, you know, all-star, all-NBA kind of candidate guy. Yeah, Rick Carlisle has, has always had this reputation of like, oh, he hates young players. He hates rookies. And uh, I even asked him about that one time. I was in a press conference. This was either before Luca or just about or just around the time they drafted Luca. Uh, I asked him, I was like, what do you think about this perception that you don't like young players? What do you think about this? 
And uh, he gave me like some snarky Rick Carlisle answer. Didn't answer the question, but I've thought about it a lot. And he doesn't like young players until the point where he feels like they can really help win, help the team win. I mean, he will play. He played Luka Doncic. He played Jalen Brunson uh, up until the the playoffs that last year. He was with the Mavericks. And the thing about Rick and Luka was that he noticed right away that he was that he was special, and so he started him right away. Obviously, he started all seventy two games his rookie year, but he didn't give him the ball. He didn't put the ball in his hands right away. But as soon as he realized it, and kind of the team realized. Oh my God, this guy is something different. He's he's like, you know, a top 20 player, top 10 player in the NBA. They made a bunch of trades and sort of forced Carlisle's hand. But to give Carlisle credit, he started putting the ball in Lucas' hands more. And uh, like halfway through his rookie season, they really gave him the keys. And then the second year, it was all completely in Lucas' hands. Like he knew after just one year, okay, it's in Lucas' hands now. We can trust Luca with it. And he was willing to do that because of how good of a talent he was. And so I'm interested to see with the Pacers. At what point does does Rick decide that, or at what point can, does Rick give the keys to Halliburton? But on the on the other hand, though, the the Mavericks thing with with uh, Carlisle was that he kind of gave the keys to Dennis Smith Jr. like right away. Now that <laughs> team was tanking, but he was willing to do that. And like, how many points? Dennis averaged like I don't know, like 15, 16 shots a game. His uh, his rookie or his second year in the NBA. Uh, yeah, his first year he averaged just about 15 shots a game, which is like way too much for for Dennis Smith Jr. as a player. But he's willing to put the ball in somebody's hands if they if the team has has definite motivation to make that player have have a good season or at least prove something to the team. I've told this story on this podcast before, but Luca actually changed the way Rick answered the question you just described in a presser because he was playing Duarte a lot early in this season, and so I wanted to ask him about that too because. There's a Tim McMahon article about a while ago, but still, when you know Rick getting fired in Detroit was largely because he wouldn't play a young Tayshon Prince, right? And then yeah. that kind of that perception carried with him for a long time. So I was like, hey, you know, Tim McMahon wrote this. You've had this perception, like, what makes you so confident in playing Duarte? And he said, well, I played Luca a lot, didn't I? And I was like, okay, yes, that, that is true. <laughs> so Luca was the guy who who maybe changed his perception on young players a little bit. But hey, the Pacers are oh. sort of on that similar path now, where they traded away Brogdon. I think they realize okay, Tyrese is good. Like, let's give this guy the ball all the time. Yeah. You know, their off-ball guards aren't necessarily creators, but he killed Ben Matherin's a rookie. Maybe he is. Uh, Chris Duarte. So I think that, that Halliburton could be in a similar situation. But again, he's not as good as Lucas. So we'll see how much it actually forces him to improve in year three. But I, I'll be curious how Rick can set him up for success and how much he can move up this list going into next year. Nick, something else you covered that I also covered, Eurobasket. Ooh. Perhaps my favorite basketball competition in the non-NBA division, excuse me, in the non-pro uh, basketball division in America in a long time. It was awesome. It was so much fun. Daniel Tice got a medal. Goga played some great games and got in a fight, which wasn't as good. Um, but it was <laughs> awesome. And I want to talk about both the Pacers players and some rules I would steal from that tournament with you. Uh, really quickly, before we do that, I want to tell my listeners – about Acre Pro when it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. And Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange, expanding your operation, or selling a row crop farm, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure a deal is done right. Great service is just the beginning. Acre Pro provides unparalleled land data, including soil ratings, elevation, flood zones, and land valuation across parcels. So you get the full picture up front and you can be confident in the entire land market. Your agent will cater to each of your individual needs to help you navigate the complexities of buying and selling land. 
So the process is made simple. Experience the ease of AcrePro by working with their farmland specialists and visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. That's AcrePro.com and it's 765-587-3185. Back here on Locked On Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen every day. This is an obvious second listen. How about Locked On Mavs where Nick and Isaac Curry cover all things Mavs and Luka Doncic and they covered... Eurobasket and the Slovenia team that had the biggest upset in the tournament, unfortunately, knocked them out. Although, my gosh, AJ Slaughter should be in the NBA. That dude can play for Poland. Either way, uh, Eurobasket was fantastic. Luka's Slovenia was one of only two teams to beat Daniel Tice's Germany in the tournament. A uh, big moment for the Pacers is Tice's Germany get third. And it, they were playing at home a lot. A lot of the knockout games were in Berlin, but they were not expected to get third. Dennis Schroeder played very well. Obviously, Tice did well as a starter. Franz Wagner obviously turns up heads. But, uh, dude, Hero Basket was just awesome. And I know that you guys have covered it because Luca's been playing and playing very well. But even beyond the Luca angle, didn't you just love this style of play? And the, It's just a, a different brand of basketball that's super fun to watch. The thing that stood out to me first, and I know you're going to ask about rule changes, was that uh, the fast breaks. Like, there's way more fast breaks in, yeah. in Eurobasket. They they don't have the take foul, which the NBA is trying to get rid of. And uh, they they I feel like the refs even went a step further and just wouldn't call stuff. Like, wouldn't even call the you know a a, a take foul when a, a player as they shouldn't <laughs> as they shouldn't call it. But they, a player would yeah. go in transition, and it actually uh, hurt the hurt Slovenia at the end there. Like the very last play against Poland, they had a a chance to to hit a shot and uh there's there's like an, an obvious egregious foul but it was sort of in transition it was all kinds of a big mess and then they just didn't call it and it could have gone in Slovenia's way but decided not to um but just the just the transition the way that you're able to push the ball a little bit more the way that you're able to you know to move up and down i thought that, that was like a, such a big thing uh the uh the way that you can like affect the ball around the rim, there's not like the offensive goaltending kind of stuff like that. Yes. That threw me off every once in a while when someone Mike, there like twice as good. Yeah, that's yeah, true. But when Mike Toby, Slovenia center, would go up and like try to smack the ball off of off of the rim, I was like, wait, hold on. It like you know you had to like twitch for a second just trying to get off of the NBA rules. Yeah, it was fantastic. The the stylistically, even beyond the rules, like it's just more brawn. Is the, is the word I typed. Like, it, it, there's a lot more contact that goes uncalled, and, like, there's a lot of screens and just, like, contact and oomph in a way that on a lot of – in the NBA, free-flowing possession, like, I still love the NBA, but yeah. just sometimes it's missing what, what made Eurobasket fun. And from a Pacers perspective, the way that that worked with, you know, some more, like, tough post-contact and things like that, Daniel Tice was, like, the perfect player <laughs> on Germany, right? <laughs> Every possession, he would just run up and set this crazy screen and then – Run back to the post, then set another screen, like over and over and over again. And him and Dennis Schroeder were this killer tandem that ended up elevating Germany way beyond what most people thought they would do. It was perfect for him. Uh, Germany medaled. They beat Poland, uh, which which uh, Slovenia couldn't do, I heard. Uh, they, they beat Poland Aww. in the third place game handily. Handily. Tice finishes the tournament with nine point and six, uh, six rebound, excuse me, averages for the Germans. Goga's team, Georgia, they were the host team for their group. If they didn't blow it, Against Belgium, they would have made the knockout stage. They got eliminated in group stages. Goga obviously uh, played pretty well. Comparative expectations started every game. Ten points, six rebounds. He did get injured, but bounced back, was able to play. Um, his big story was obviously the fight with Furkan Korkmaz that led to some punishments from FIBA, but the punishments came after they were already eliminated. So we don't really know what those are. Either way, in general, 
both of those guys were well suited to the way Eurobasket's played, where they can play through contact a little more, but still kind of be involved around the play, things like that, where they can show off their decision making. Uh, and it was awesome environment for them, and in general for me, because I loved every game. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of Germany, Slovenia did beat Germany, but not when it mattered, <laughs> not in the bracket part. So, despite Slovenia getting, well, they lost in the quarterfinals, right? They uh, did not yeah, do sec- better. Second them. round, no, they second round. They they they. This team was so frustrating. They would like, they basically played down or up to their competition. They they would go in and like really take care of Germany or France, and then they would lose to <laughs> to Poland and. Uh, other teams in the group stage. Bosnia, they lost to in the group stage. Hey, Yusuf Nurkic was fantastic. Again, another guy that kind of the, again, Braun is the word I typed. Like, it fit them very well. You know what I mean? It's, it was, Eurobasket was so interesting because at certain points you would just have, like, it's not NBA, right? Where you can just kind of, like, you can even out a team and the, the every, like, every best talent is trying to go play in this. And so you would have certain teams where you're like, oh my gosh, like, Somebody, if if there's a really good post player, if Embiid or Jokic is playing, they're just going to dominate because you're playing these, you're playing some against some bigs that are on just like they wouldn't even play in the G League probably in the NBA because of just how under like <laughs> like under uh, talent they are. And then you would have some other teams where you're like, oh, well, they just don't like Slovenia at a certain point. If they're missing a player, they just didn't have any wings, so you could just get taken advantage of on the on the edges. And so it's the talent disparity between some of the teams just in different like positionally was so vast that you could just take advantage of certain things. And I think that's why some of that play stood out to us because certain teams could just do certain things that you just can't do in the NBA because the talent is just so even across the board. Yeah, it was like a lot of non-NBA guys were really impressive. Even for Germany, they had some shooters that I was like, I've never heard of you before. (laughs) Like, why why have I not heard your name in the NBA sphere? Like AJ Slaughter on Poland, who we talked about briefly earlier, he played Summer League for the Pistons once and then has just played overseas ever since. But like, he was like one of the 10 best players in the tournament. Like he was amazing. Lorenzo Brown made all Eurobasket first team. He he's not barely crossed the NBA landscape. Like it's crazy how these dudes are just off the radar for a lot of NBA fans. Uh, so there are different rules. You alluded to some of them earlier. The off the rim block. If a ball, if a shot goes up and hits the rim, if it's still up and you can reach it, you can knock it away. Uh, no take foul. My favorite. If I could take one thing to the NBA from Eurobasket. Technical fouls for flopping. Oh, that was so satisfying. Dennis Schroeder did it for Germany twice in this tournament where he would just like, he would reach and then they would try to knock his hand away and he would just flail like crazy. And it's like, it would have been a foul on the other team if you didn't flop, but he just goes crazy and gets attacked. And I love it. I love not rewarding (laughs) that behavior. It drives me bananas in the NBA. Uh, That would be the number one rule I would take, although honestly a lot of them were. Luca had a classic one against France and Rudy Gobert, and he just he loves trying to take Rudy Gobert out of any games and just <laughs> will immediately just flop as soon as he even in the NBA like in the playoffs he would do this. But he had one where he was like Rudy Gobert is just standing at the free throw line and Luca was near him and he just fell down <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, wasn't called for technical, but we were all kind of holding our breath waiting to see if it would happen. Uh, that's a really good one because. But it's so hard to call because in the NBA, there's the flopping is just so frequent and just happens so much, and it's so quick too. We we all see it in slow motion, and so we're just like ridiculous. We're like, oh, that's obvious. He didn't get touched at all, and you know, his, the nose didn't get touched at all by the elbow or whatever. But uh, that's a good one. Honestly, the take foul one. I'm interested yeah. to see how it happens in the NBA because they're going to try to implement it, and uh, and we'll see if it it adds more. Fast breaks because the, the NBA def- desperately needs it, and the Mavericks des- desperately need it too. They're like last in the NBA in pace by a lot. I don't know about you, Nick, but when I was a kid, 
I would pay money for tickets to see guys foul on fast breaks. That was my favorite part of the game. <laughs> uh, Especially yeah, glad- if it was like a player that had a couple fouls already and then fouled, and then, they're, <laughs> yeah. then all of a sudden in foul trouble. And you're like, what are we doing? Yeah, that I, I like the NBA solution of the shot plus ball. But I thought they might do something like make it be two fouls or something like that because like the foul is not enough. Really take it out. And six is a lot of fouls. Like dudes have figured out how to get around that for four decades now. You know, I don't know. But either way, I'm glad they came up with the solution. The block off the rim is interesting. I mean, dudes switch so many shots at the pro level. It might not matter. But you know, I, I would wonder if it was like a timing element, you know, like if it was like one second, if that would be the way to bring it to the NBA. I don't know. That one's not as impactful. You didn't see it as much because and some of the dudes that's like have it like they still just sit and watch because they're not used to it. Yeah. And it happened in it happened in FIBA, too. There was a couple of times where guys would just sit and watch. I'm like, you could grab that like if you yeah. really wanted to. But yeah, I think it's the athleticism of the NBA that takes some of these rules. And you're like, oh, you would just be so easy for right. Uh, like prime DeAndre Jordan to to abuse that that rule Hold off on, the rim because he's right and under the basket like <laughs> palm it just grab the ball just grab the ball grab it off palm, I wondered it off if, I wondered if the negative consequence would be that like you know if you go and you miss you're out of rebound position but the ball's not moving very fast if it's on the rims they don't miss you know it's not hard yeah. there's no real downside to going for it which made it you know just probably those not ones that, that rim out I guess yeah the the toilet ones is that what every kid calls them. <laughs> Uh, I loved Eurobasket. I think a lot. If you have ESPN Plus, I think you can go back and actually watch a lot yeah. of the recordings. Like Championship Game was sick. I'd recommend every Italy game because they were all completely ridiculous in some way, shape, or form. Um, honestly, every Germany game <laughs> was up 15 at halftime, tied at the end of the third quarter, and then they went somehow. So if you're you want to watch Daniel Tyson, get a good feel for him before he joins the Pacers next week. That is a good way to do it. Hey, thanks for making Lockdown Pacers your first lesson today. Now. Go make your second listen. Something we talked about earlier, the NBA Top 50 on Locked On NBA. Which NBA player moves the betting line the most this season? Locked On and Bet Online Odds Makers present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players. Find it on Locked On NBA, wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Nick, over here, I still am bad at pointing uh, in the opposite direction when I'm on camera on YouTube. He's on Twitter, at NickManExit. You can find him at Locked On Maps, covering a very fascinating Mavs team that people seem to think are going to have a little drop-off after losing Jalen Brunson. Let's see what the Mavs guys have to say. You can listen to him and Isaac Harris every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm on Twitter at TEastNBA. Back tomorrow talking about some of the reserve forwards upcoming season. Kendall Brown, Terry Taylor, O'Shea Brissett. What to watch for ahead of their campaign. We'll do Halliburton on Friday unless there's some big news Thursday, which, again, I cannot uh, officially talk about yet, but we'll see. Either way, listen to Lockdown Mavs, listen to Lockdown Pitch. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, everybody, have a fantastic day.